Hey, I'm your host, Alex Dryzak, and welcome back to Moose's Mulligans. So this week we're continuing our discussion on the mental health of student-athletes, and we're actually going to the NCAA website. This website is supposed to help with the mental health concerns of student-athletes. So let's get into it, and let's start. Alrighty, welcome to the lesson about supporting mental wellness for you, the student-athlete. After going through this module, you'll have a firm understanding of how to improve your own mental wellness and how to assist others who might need help. So this is just the intro slide that tells you what this website is made for to help student-athletes know how to handle their stress and if something is wrong, how to approach it. Good mental health is not just the absence of mental health diagnoses, such as depression or anxiety. Rather, it refers to your overall psychological well-being, from the way you feel about yourself to your ability to manage feelings and deal with difficulties. Think of it as existing along a continuum. Thriving and resilience exists on one end of the spectrum, with severe functional impairment on the other. It's normal for your mental wellness to fluctuate along this continuum. However, if you notice that you find that you spend most of your time on the right half of the continuum, you likely need to seek care from a professional mental health provider. For this slide, what I really wanted to focus on was the difference between the periodic distress, which is on what they call the self-care and self-support side. It's uh, right next to functional impairment, which is on the professional care side where you need help. And I wanted to talk about the importance of trainers being aware of the differences between these two. So first, let me play you from the slide what they say about periodic distress. It's common to fall into this range on the continuum from time to time. Here, temporary feelings of stress and worry begin to manifest, but they are easily reversible. So this is a more natural feeling. It's, it's a pretty normal reaction, you know. Some procrastination, low energy, some intrusive thoughts, a little difficulty relaxing. But it's supposed to be one that's self-care and self-manageable. Now let's look at functional impairment. At this point in the continuum, typical worry and stress have become persistent and are getting in the way of a healthy lifestyle. This is more of an issue that needs to be noticed. It's more of a preoccupation of worrying, uh, a decreased performance in academics or work, more anger and anxiety, irritable, panic. So the key differences between these two that I really wanted to map out is that periodic distress is a normal reaction to expected stress. An athlete could be going through finals, could have a big game, could be a long road trip. Where it differs from functional impairment, functional impairment is a not normal reaction to an abnormal stress. So it's not related to the external stress of a final or a big game, but it's actually an internal feeling of stress from the athlete on themselves, and that can affect their performance. Now, it's important for athletes to monitor this because not all medical staffs will be as proficient. Some teams will be smaller, so less players mean it's more likely to be noticed. Some will have more friendly trainers that are more in discussions about how they're feeling internally. So the last slide we're going to look at on this is about managing that stress, and as they call it, managing my personal mental wellness. So how can we make sure we're doing what we can to improve our mental wellness? Let's explore the different strategies that will help. Self-care is an important aspect of any healthy lifestyle. So while you're training for the next big meet, 
Keep in mind these various techniques for attending to your own mental wellness. So the first icon I wanted to look at on here is the one about sleep for a student athlete. It's important to make sure you get enough sleep. To get a good night's sleep, make sure you establish and maintain a regular bedtime and waking time. Your room should be clean, cool, and quiet with minimal distractions. Try not to eat or drink alcohol before bed or consume any caffeine beverages, such as coffee or soda, after 4 p.m. And if you're taking any medications, ask your doctor how it may affect your sleep. So, for a student athlete, it is very difficult to manage sleep. I would say it was the toughest part of it all because with early weights, changing practice times, with tests, finals, and also during season you travel to all different kinds of time zones and late travel times, early travel times, it can really start to wear on an athlete. It becomes harder when you fall behind to keep your room clean, cool, and quiet. And also, it's difficult not to have a distraction when you're trying to do your homework in your room, you have your laptop. It's, it's, it can be really difficult to block out these distractions and get to sleep, especially keeping a regular bedtime and a regular wake time. I can tell you what, if I don't have weights at 6 a.m., I'm going to change my wake time for that day. And sometimes you're even more responsible than for just yourself. You're more responsible because you'll have teammates that you're rooming with, and then you're put in charge of also helping them get up and get to weights in the morning which just adds, doubles, triples your stress because you're worrying about more than one person now. So the last thing I wanted to look at as a mental tool to help is breathing. Learn how to manage your stress. All student athletes experience stress, but you can learn how to cope with it and even use it to your advantage. Identify and practice positive stress management strategies. One of the easiest coping strategies you can use right now is deep breathing exercises. Slowly breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. So I read the book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, and I felt that it taught me how to control my breathing very well now and how to handle stress much easier. You can use this breathing to your advantage. You can use the deep breathing to fool yourself into being calm in super stressful situations because that breathing gets the oxygen through your body and keeps you relaxed with the deep slow breathing. Right, don't try to strike everybody out. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. And most athletes are working on getting physically strong. This can help you get mentally strong. Controlling your breathing, some athletes say it slows that really impactful moment of a game or situation down when they're controlling their breathing. It almost like everything's moving in slow motion. And that mental toughness can come from those deep, slow breaths and being in control of your breath. So that was just an interesting look at how the NCAA is teaching student-athletes how to handle what they call their personal mental wellness. I think it's important for student-athletes to know the stress that is coming to them when they start becoming student-athletes. And there are ways to help handle it. Some situations may be very difficult and may lead to a lot of stress, but hopefully we can keep the athletes in that periodic stress area before it gets into the functional stress. It's also the fact that most athletes that would have a physical injury are more likely to report it because they feel they need to perform at their highest physical ability, but they're less likely to report a mental issue going on 
because it's internal and also they feel it might not affect their performance as much as it can. Alright, moving on to our next topic, we're going to talk about some MLB baseball with the exciting trade deadline coming up. And we're going to bring in Mark Berkowitz to talk about it, but first he wants to make a statement about uh, mental health for student-athletes. So, hey, Mark. Hey, Alex. How's it going, man? Good. So tell us what uh, statement you wanted to say. Well, just just being a baseball player, and, and I know this is something you can attest to uh, because you play the same sport, uh, mental wellness as an athlete is probably the most important thing you can have uh, because once once you get in your head about something and this is something that I've personally been through once you once you get into your own head that you can't do something you're not going to be able to do it because you're telling yourself that you can't so I, I believe that, that mental wellness uh, as a whole uh, is something that every athlete should strive uh, to have to be good at uh, have a good mental wellness and and just know that when you think positive thoughts uh, just just think it positively about everything around you things tend to go better not only in the sport that you're playing but but in life in general and so I think just having that top-notch mental game uh, is the most important thing an athlete can have definitely believe in the positive spirit around you so, yeah, absolutely. So now we're looking at the MLB and some teams trying to add some positivity to their playoff run. Uh, just wanted to ask you so far, I mean, what have you thought about some earlier trades this trade deadline than what we're used to? No way! Uh, you know what? I, I love it. I love that teams are realizing that they have to take the opportunity when they can instead of waiting until July 31st. Uh, if you think if you think you're you're going to make the playoffs on July 15th, why wait until the 31st to make that trade, you know? Right. Make your team better as soon as possible. Uh, I really, really liked, as much as I don't like the Yankees, I really like that trade that they made uh, to get Robertson, Conley, and Frazier. I think Frazier fills a big hole at third base. Uh, Chase Headley just wasn't getting it done there. Hasn't been all that great since that incredible second half he had in, like, 2012 with the Padres. Uh, and they just turned their two-headed monster into a four-headed demon thing. Demon <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm it's, inter- it's unreal. I'm interested to see how Gary Cooper does at first base, too, because he he was an interesting pickup that not many were expecting. He's a cheaper one where they didn't have to give up as many prospects, so I think he could have a big impact, or they'll rely on him at first base and he won't provide. Yeah. So. And it, it really, it, it's really a shame that they couldn't get out of Grave Bird what he anticipated after just the incredible spring that he had. It was unbelievable. And he's been injury-ridden all year, hasn't hit well. Uh, it's just unfortunate that it, that it came to that. But Garrett Cooper is certainly going to be uh, an interesting uh, story to follow as the rest of the Yankees season uh, goes on. Uh, in another trade that happened about a couple days before that with the Nationals getting Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen. Wow. I think that was that was another interesting trade. I actually thought that they were going to go after Brad Hand. I agree. Uh, but Doolittle and Madsen, you get two pretty good relievers. Uh, Madsen being an ex-closer in Philadelphia, 
uh, a little bit with the A's. Not the same guy he used to be, but still a pretty good relief pitcher. And Sean Doolittle being one of the better left-handed relievers in the game, the only thing with that Nationals bullpen is they still don't have that guy. The guy that like, you can trust when bases yeah. are loaded, nobody is out, and you're up one like, or two runs, right? The bullpen isn't good. Or the bullpen is good, but they don't have like an Andrew Miller, or Kevin Jansen, and Craig Kimbrell, a guy like that, a stopper that they can rely on, you know, time in and time out when they need something. And right. I'm I'm waiting for them to make that move. Frankly, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, if they do, they're gonna have to give up uh, Soto. I can't remember what his first name is. He's their yeah, one of their top prospects. Yeah. They're going to have to part ways with him, and I, I really don't think they want to do that because... I look at it as they've missed Trey Turner for a while now. Adam Eaton's done for the season. I I mean, yeah, you're winning your division, but over who? I mean, I hate watching the Mets. I, yeah. The only team I'm impressed with is the Atlanta Braves, which we're going to get to here in a minute. But other than that, I mean, I don't really see any competition except for the NL West. I mean... Yeah, that... That division is pretty hot garbage. The Diamondbacks already added to their lineup. This is ridiculous now. That was that was a really good trade that they made. JD Martinez, since he came back off the DL, has been hitting about three thirty with like fifteen home runs. And God, he's just he's such a good hitter. And Kamara Park isn't necessarily you know a hitter's park, Definitely but he was hitting not. insane there. Just yeah. imagine what he's gonna do in in Arizona, which is probably the second best hitters park in baseball behind course. Now, I am proud of the Tigers so far. They got three shortstops back. They've always had kind of a shortstop issue. I mean, they've tried Johnny Peralta there at some points. I mean, I'm glad that they got that back. Now I think they need to keep moving. You've got Kinsler. You've got Verlander. Uh, so much talk about Michael Fulmer. I mean, do you really keep him? It's kind of like to me, like, do you, you know, I think Mike Trout, I feel so bad watching him on the Angels. They are in the wild card race, but I always feel like he's always going to come up just short with that team because they have not many prospects behind him. Yeah, but see, here's the thing, and I was reading this the other day. Uh, the Angels have 18 expiring contracts at the end of this year. That's the so, great, greatest news I've heard about them. So they could very well be spending a lot here in free agency. It's a great free agency market, too. It, it, it is, and what's crazy is 20 to offseason following this one is going to be even crazier, <laughs> yeah. which, I, which I'm really excited for. That's something we can talk about at a later date, because uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But yeah. uh, as, as for the Tigers, I'm interested to see if they, if they do end up parting with Justin Verlander. His contract is still so big. So, so big. Uh-oh. The only way they'd be able to get a good return is if they pay money. And since uh, Illich passed away, yeah. you know, Maybe maybe it's time that eat that contract and start start over. Start rebuilding. Yeah, start now. Now speak it, yeah, speaking of rebuilding, I wanted to talk about a team that won't be really making any moves this trade deadline, but they've already made those moves. I mean the director of baseball operations for the Braves is John Hart, who just had his birthday on Friday. Happy birthday. And then twenty years after Hart led the Indians to that World Series appearance against the Marlins. Uh, I wanted to look back at the talent he had collected for those Indians, and then now I'm calling them the 2020 Braves. I'm saying they're going to win the World Series in 2020. It's hard to predict, obviously, with free agency and everything, but 
I look back at the 95 Indians, and you have Sandy Alomar, you had a young Brian Giles, veteran Armin Oral Hershiser at the end of his career, young Kenny Lofton, Albert Bell, Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey, Omar Vizquel, and I started to look at the possibility of if they kept who they really want to keep around this core to 20, 20, 25 years after that Indians team. You've got Freddie Freeman, Matt Adams loves the new ballpark. You've got Dansby Swanson, Ender and Ciarte. And then even the younger guys are Ozzie Albies, uh, Kevin Maiden, uh, I can never say his name, Colby Allard, Sean Newcomb. It just looks really strong. It looks like he's doing it again. Yeah. He, yeah, he even built a new stadium like he did. He built the Jake in Cleveland, and now he yeah. built a new park in Atlanta. Incredible thing about the 95 Indians. They were 144. Uh, that's an absolutely insane record. Albert Bell had 50 homers that year. They had one, two, three, four, five, six guys in double-digit homers, uh, five of which were 20-plus. Eddie Murray at the end of his career with 21 homers. Manny at the beginning of his. Lofton in his prime. Jim Tomey playing third base, which is something I never saw. They were even better than the 97 team that came one inning away from winning the World yeah. Series. That's what's unbelievable. If, if John Hart can do that, uh, now it may not be the same because he is the director of baseball ops, uh, but what I've seen from from Papalella, the, the new general manager, yeah. and this is just, he likes to do these uh, ask copy things on Twitter under the Braves Twitter handle which is at Braves uh, mm-hmm. for those who care um, he really really takes pride in trying to get um, th- this team better um, do you know was the, the Shelby Miller for Dansby trade was that under Coppola yes was so under, it was one of his first moves that was his um, first one right yeah it was at the such a steal for the Braves getting rid of Shelby, getting trading Shelby Miller for you know the number one overall pick. And we in thought the Shelby, year. we thought Shelby was going to do pretty well in Arizona. Also, yeah, that was the problem. Shelby hasn't just been quite frankly, he's been terrible. But Dansby Swanson, I think they moved him a little too fast. Up to the majors, uh, yeah, yeah, because he's he's just kind of been not that great. Uh, he never really had an outstanding tool. Um, well, he he, gonna be... Yeah, here's the thing I tied Dansby Swanson in with. Uh, John Smoltz, he's an MLB Network analyst now. He pulled up the stats of him, Maddox, and Glavin in their rookie years and showed they had double-digit losses, their ERAs were over four, they looked terrible. They looked nothing like Hall of Famers. And he just said what was so great about the Braves was they gave them a chance to learn. They kept playing them. And by their third, fourth years, they had learned what works, what doesn't, what to change. You know, Smoltz had learned after his Tommy John what to adjust. And so I think that's what they're doing with Dansby Swanson and, and all these other young guys. Is They're just giving him a chance now, letting him learn and saying, look, we're not going to win anyway. Let's just keep building for three, four years. You, you can learn up here. And they're actually winning now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The one thing I would like to see them do, knowing that they're not going to win, is call up their top prospect, Ozzy Albies. I'm waiting for that, too. I want to see what he can do next uh, to Dansby. I would put him at... Ooh, where would I put him? He's just so fast, and he's got such yeah. a good contact with his bat. For this... Uh, you want him to be a future uh, up-the-middle guy, second base or shortstop. But at this point, uh, at least to get him playing time, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they called him up and then used him as a utility guy. But I know that's why they haven't called him up because there's no, not really any place to put him. You got Brandon Phillips at second, who you're paying 15 million, Uh, and then now you got the whole Freddie Freeman at third base experiment, which has been quite interesting. I'm okay to say the very least. (laughs) I love it. I think it's awesome, and I think that's such a selfless move by Freddie Freeman to say, hey, you know. We got this guy playing really, really well at first base. Give me a shot at third. Um, so, I think between Julio Tehran uh, and Freddie Freeman, and I think Ender Enciarte is a very underrated center fielder, between those three guys and Dansby Swanson, uh, I think they really, really have something that they can build around for the future. Fulton Nevich is starting to come into his own a little bit. Right. Uh, you got Sean Newcomb. You got Luke Jackson, who, who's somewhat emerging as, as a very, very good uh, bullpen piece. Uh, and you got a Rodas Viscaino who throws 113 miles an hour. I'm excited. It feels like sometimes. Yeah, I'm excited for the Braves fans. What I want to tell them is, is you know, go to your new stadium that everyone seems to love when they visit it. That's all I've heard is great things about it. Enjoy your yeah. new stadium. Enjoy the next few years as your team rises up in a pretty weak NL East. Yeah. Coming from coming from a Padres fan, uh, I feel I feel the pain of the Braves fans where you want them to win, but. They just can't because they're so bad. Just oh, be they're, patient. They're better than be Padres fans. I mean, they yeah. had they had all the Chipper Jones years. They were you know they had Andrew Jones and they had Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox. They've had their be fun. patient. Yeah, <laughs> be patient. It's that that decade and a half of you know fifteen straight NL East championships. That's it's going to come again. I promise you that. I think it's maybe, coming maybe, sooner than maybe we not think. fifteen straight, but perennial contender. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Mark. Thank you for having me, Alex. Always a pleasure to talk baseball with you. All right, well, I'm super excited because I feel like we're going back to the 1990s. We got Yankees and Braves that might be dominating just like the end of the 90s. So bring on your Backstreet Boys and your Third Eye Blind, and we're going back to the 90s. Well, at least in baseball, anyway. All right, well, I'd like to thank my guest, Mark Berquist, this week. Thank you very much. Thank you to everybody who's been liking and subscribing to our channel. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter.com slash Moose's Mulligans. And check out our official website, alexanderstryzak.wixsite.com slash Moose's Mulligans. That's all we have for this week. And until next week, remember, fairways and greens, no mulligans. We'll see you next week.